This is the Pro Football Doc Podcast with Dr. David Shaw. As a practicing orthopedic surgeon who's performed hundreds of procedures on NFL players and as the former longtime head team physician for the San Diego Chargers, Dr. Chow uses his insider knowledge to decipher injuries to a documented 95% accuracy level. He's the Sirius XM sports medical analyst and is quoted everywhere from Sports Center to NFL Live. More than 100,000 followers can't be wrong. Following him on Twitter, looking for his instant insights on injuries during games. Now, Dr. David Chow, the pro football doc. Welcome, welcome, welcome to another Pro Football Doc podcast. This is, uh, we're ready to head on to the Super Bowl here. Post-conference uh, championships, San Francisco 49ers representing the NFC and the Kansas City Chiefs rep- representing the AFC. A lot of red color there in uh, Miami headed up here. And let's bring in our uh, producer here, Greg Peterson. Welcome to the show. Dr. Chow, good to be with you, but even better, I get to tell you, I told you so on my favorite team. (laughs) You sound a little depressed. It's a little bit, but at the same time, I knew that this was coming with the Packers. It just did not match up well with the 49ers. Did you expect that the Packers would lose with Jimmy G only throwing eight passes? This looked like an Army-Navy game for them. That was absolutely ridiculous. I think that the 49ers won a playoff game throwing 10 or fewer passes for the first time since, like, 1973, I think is the last time it was done. So just an absolutely ridiculous stat. (laughs) Well, uh, you know, uh, obviously uh, Kyle Shanahan learned his lesson about running the ball when he's ahead. But, boy, that was ridiculous. (laughs) They They didn't even throw a pass in the third quarter. The entire and the third quarter. Had no response. It was uh, crazy, crazy, crazy. Definitely, yeah. I mean, I thought the I thought both games would be closer. I wasn't necessarily thinking that Green Bay or Tennessee would win, but I thought both games would be closer. And I guess the Tennessee game was close for a while, and they were even up. But uh, Green Bay they made a little bit of a comeback, but it never really felt like they were in it at all. Two high scoring games though on both on both sides. All right. So anyways, uh, we got a nice special guest on that we'll have uh, for the second segment here. But uh, before we get going here, let's do a a couple of uh, cleanup uh, topics, soup du jour. First of all, San Francisco and Kansas City. Shocker. They're the two Super Bowl representatives come in fairly healthy. And a lot of this is about timing, right? San Francisco was beat up midseason and uh, Kansas City was beat up kind of early season. Uh, you look at the Chiefs, they obviously had uh, Tyree Kill injured early in the season, Patrick Mahomes with his high ankle, and then his kneecap dislocation. Then they had a couple of linemen down, and at one point, kind of uh, early midseason there, Kansas City was one of the more injured teams. But by the end of the season, they'd righted themselves. Same with San Francisco. At one point, they had a number of injuries on their offensive line, Kyle Juszczyk, their fullback, and they couldn't run the ball. And uh, even defensively between late season, Richard Sherman, D. Ford, and Jacusti Tart were out. Their winning record and getting the bye, I think, made a difference to both squads in getting them fairly healthy. And, of course, that ends up with both of them being in the playoffs. And there's no question there's a little bit of luck involved in terms of injuries. I mean, 
gosh, where would if Patrick Mahomes kneecap dislocation happened very late season, that would have changed everything. Jimmy Garoppolo got rolled up and posted a picture on, on Twitter where his left ankle and left knee, the same knee that he tore his ACL, was uh, put in a funny position when he was hit low and uh, rolled up on. Uh, if his foot would have caught in the ground, you know, uh, maybe the way they were running the ball, maybe San Francisco still makes it through, or maybe just the threat of having Jimmy G back there helped them run the ball too. Who knows? But he escaped injury, and uh, that's what it takes. It takes great players, great coaching, some good luck, and some good timing in terms of what's going on. We'll get to the injury rundown. There are some injury issues, namely Tevin Coleman. We'll get to that in the third segment here. Other breaking news this past week to discuss medically. Uh, early retirement. Luke Keekley made a surprise retirement. He didn't say why. A lot of people jumped to the conclusion that it was due to head injury. It could be due to head injury, uh, but his main head injury scare was in 2017. And uh, even though he wore that experimental cue collar and other things this year, he didn't wasn't reported to have any head injury issues this year. But he opted for early retirement, a great career, even though he's a young man. And uh, hats off to him. Congratulations if that's what's best for him. But I think there's a misinterpretation that there's an epidemic of early retirement. Yes, there have been some key guys that have retired early. And, you know, it may have started with Chris Borland when he was an up-and-coming first-year player who walked away from the game about to, to do quite well for the 49ers. And he specifically linked it to head injury. The other early retirements and walking away haven't all been linked that way. But if you look at the league-wide numbers, there's no epidemic of players retiring early. Uh, there's a few key guys who've retired early. Andrew Luck has made generational money already. Uh, Luke Keekley has made some pretty good money already. I'm not saying money's the only motivator, but uh, the way the numbers are now for contracts for the big-time guys, it makes it easier to walk away when you've made all the money that you need as opposed to having not done that. So good on anyone who decides to retire early and who put themselves in a position to retire early like Luke Keekley. But we don't see an epidemic yet. Another topic near and dear to my heart, I don't think he's retiring. He hasn't indicated that he's retiring, and he's always been very honest. Philip Rivers, I was disappointed to hear the confirmation that he had moved his family from San Diego. I actually texted with him. got some guys, some of you know, together to watch the game last week, and I texted him saying, well, we might do that again this weekend. He texted me back immediately, but ultimately texted me back saying, yeah, it's a long way to go from Florida <laughs> to uh, hang out. And good on him. This is not an indication that he's going to play for Jacksonville or Miami or Tampa. This is just an indication that this has always been his plan. He's had a home on the Gulf Coast of Florida in the Panhandle, which is essentially southern Alabama, where he's from. He's had a home on the water there for a while. He's been going there every summer. He's a very family-oriented guy. He didn't move to L.A. when the team moved because he didn't want to move his family. He figured out a way to commute. So why is he moving his family now? Well, I guess he doesn't see the chances of the Chargers offering him anything as being that good, maybe. But also, I don't see him moving his family. Let's say he takes a job with the Colts with Frank Wright. 
he's not going to move his family to Indianapolis for two years and then move them again. They're in school and the whole deal. So he's just moving them to where they're ultimately going to be, which is Panhandle of Florida. Does this mean he's going to play with a Florida team? Not necessarily, but he could. Tampa would be intriguing. They've got a good team. Who knows where he's going to go, but it's not early retirement. Got to love him. Great guy. And wherever he lands next, whether it's Chargers and I'm surprised or somewhere else, I hope he can get a ring. That would be something nice and deserved for him. Our other big topic right now, Greg, is, you know, obviously Super Bowl, but, you know, everyone's attention turns to the draft. I mean, draft chatter is already there and combines is the next big event. Late February, combines, a couple of pieces of news. Tua Tagliaviola has, his agent has said he will throw in a workout. And, uh, yeah, that makes sense. No one ever expected Tua to work out at the combines. Even if his hip were healthy, you don't expect him to work out at combines. He's such a high draft pick that uh, it would be a sort of a pro day situation. And he's not going to work out at pro day. They're going to set up a 40-minute throwing session where he'll throw 60 to 80 balls sometime in April, right before the draft, after the Alabama pro day. And here's what that means to me. It's not surprising that... He's going to be able to throw then. Remember, I mean, it's not like you hurt his shoulder, right? There's hip. Of course, you need your hip and lower body as a base to throw and drop back. But I don't think he's going to be ready to do agility drills fully. uh, But he should be able to throw in April. I've said all along, I think he'll be ready for the season. The question is long-term arthritis, assuming he gets by avascular necrosis. But his agent's doing his job. Lee Steinberg getting some good spin out there, some positive news on Tua. That's always good. And I think you'll only hear positive news on Tua from now until the combines because the only people with the news are Tua, Tua's people, and the doctors related to Tua can't say anything that Tua doesn't okay. So whether it's positive, whether it's not, you're going to get a positive spin if you hear anything at all because if it were something negative, the doctor wouldn't be able to say it. So uh, expect good news on Tua and expect it combines. Maybe you'll hear some rumors about where his hip is or isn't. Maybe they're real. Maybe they're put out by teams to get him to drop in the draft so they fall to him. And then we'll all get to see in April a little bit of how he's doing. But I do expect Tua to go easily in the top half of the first round and probably top 10. The way people draft now, it isn't for a 15-year career. They're drafting for a productive first contract. And I think he can do that and be successful. And the other thing I think I'd wish I'd see more of, Texas Tech linebacker, top linebacker Jordan Brooks announced that he had surgery in December. And it's a four- to six-month recovery, so he's not working out at combines and so forth. But I think that's actually smart. I wish more players would do that. I used to see too many players come to combines hurt. And even someone that said, okay, I'm not 100%, but I wanted to work out for the scouts and then take care of my surgery. Well, if Jordan Brooks would have done that, you know, worked out at the combines and then had surgery, his March surgery would put him at risk for the regular season. I think he's much better off relying on his quality game film, going to the combines, getting examined by the doctors, doing the interviews with the GMs and coaches, and letting his previous play speak for itself and be
being able to tell teams that, look, I'll be ready to go for part of the off-season program. I'll be able to practice with the NFL schemes, and I'll be ready to go for training camp and for the season. So I think that actually helps him, and I wish more players would do that. It always would make me wonder how beat up players were when they got to the combines. And there were some that were pretty beat up and often made me wonder even more about the NC2A system. Forget the pay to play stuff, but you got to take care of your guys. And the guys that get invited to the combines are the top 330 or so players in the country. So it's the top guys on your team that get invited to the combines. It's the top juniors or seniors on your team. And if those guys come in with injuries, they were very productive in college, and that's how they got invited to combines. If those guys come in with injuries that aren't taken care of, what about the rest of the team? I mean, are they getting taken care of? I don't know the answer to that, but that's kind of what worried me and bothered me about seeing so many guys injured at combines coming in with lingering injuries. Oh, I can play through that and keep going. Part of it is you got to understand these are superior athletes most of the time playing against talent less than themselves. That's how they get invited to the combines. Well, let's say if you if you have a shoulder labrum tear, this is assuming what Jordan Brooks had, I don't know, and you're successful playing with a harness or a strap, it's absolutely smart to get it fixed because if you don't, it may have worked for you against lesser talent. But at the next level, you're going to go against better talent And that's going to expose that labral tear in your shoulder. And then you're going to miss your rookie season with a surgery, et cetera. So I think it's always smarter to get it taken care of ahead of time. And so kudos to Jordan Brooks and perhaps whoever his agent is for making that happen. Or or kudos to Texas Tech for making that happen, his school. Just getting them taken care of before uh, he got to combines. All right, we'll come back for segment two in a second. But Along that lines, as we shift to an off-season podcast and format, we'll change some things up and just like last year, and we'll talk more about deep dives into topics and the combines and the draft as we have more time to do so, just like we are here versus just injury rundowns. But I have a great special guest coming up next, someone who's a, a regular on More Ways to Win in the FanDuel TVG show that I was fortunate enough to be on this year. I'll get to turn the tables on him. So let's take a quick break and we'll be right back with segment two of the Pro Football Talk Podcast. This is the Pro Football Doc Podcast with Dr. David Schaff. All right, welcome back to segment two of the Pro Football Doc Podcast, our guest segment. Thrilled to have our special guest today because I get to turn the tables on him a little bit all season long on FanDuel TVG, More Ways to Win, where my next guest, Dave Weaver, is the number one prognosticator on. He's been able to ask me questions and his co-hosts about what's going on in injuries. And now here on the Pro Football Doc Podcast, I get to try and turn the tables on him a little bit. Let's welcome to the show, uh, Dave Weaver. Hey, Doc. Uh, don't ask me about injuries. Anything betting related, though, I've got your back. <laughs> gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Well, speaking of uh, betting related, obviously it's an apropos time because the regular season and playoffs are over. All that's left is the Super Bowl. And the Super Bowl is kind of. 
not only a Super Bowl for football, but the Super Bowl of uh, betting and uh, props and everything else, all the exotic wagers. It's a special time of year for you, huh? Yeah, I already have heads pegged for the coin toss, so I'll, I'll go on the record that I like heads. But yeah, I mean, you could bet anything from what color will the Gatorade be poured on the winning coach to, I mean, you name it, and you could probably bet on it in the Super Bowl. But yeah, fun times. I had a pretty good run through the playoffs, but I couldn't have been more wrong about that Packers-San Francisco game. I just really did not give the 49ers the credit that I probably should have because they looked great and everything that they did in regular season has gone right through the playoffs. So I do like the Chiefs, but I'm I'm starting to second-guess myself a little bit because this 49ers defense has been stellar. All right. So before, without giving away any trade secrets, how do you avo- arrive at heads for the coin toss? Just because I'm a sicko and I'll bet on anything. I, I just have always, since I was a little kid, Love to guess what's going to happen in certain things. There's obviously no science to 50-50 toss, but I had (laughs) tails in the Clemson-LSU National Championship game. I was right about that. And I did look up, and every coin toss is obviously different. Nothing in the past matters. But the I think about the last seven Super Bowls, tails has happened six out of the seven. So I'm, I'm going with heads. (laughs) <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> well, to me, the more interesting ones are, as you say, the the color of Gatorade or perhaps the uh, the length of the national anthem, because those actually can be known. I mean, they hold a practice at the Super Bowl with the national anthem singer. And if you know the numbers there or or, you know, the athletic trainer in, in charge of the Gatorade, I mean, those can be known things. Uh, so how does that work? And how does how do lines even get set on that when it's kind of a known entity? And, and a lot of those type of props versus the ones that will be played out in the game are going to have smaller limits as to what they're going to allow uh, people to mm-hmm. bet. So you're, you can't bet a million dollars that, you know, the Gatorade's going to be yellow, but you could probably bet 200 bucks or, you know, they're going to, they're going to cap you in, in those type of props a lot tighter than they are in some of the others. We know that prop betting and in-game prop betting is expanding. Are there going to be more different Super Bowl bets than ever before as well? Or have we reached the saturation point there? Well, I know each particular state has different laws as well as, you know, what is considered something that is legal to gamble on. So a lot of things that take place in a game are fine, you know, interceptions, fumbles, yards, receptions. But sometimes the props that are not in the game, some states won't even allow you to have that. So certain sports books I've seen in the past, you know, how many times will the broadcast say, a certain word. You know, I think those are the type of things that are are probably not going to be allowed state to state as much as anything that's happening on the field itself will. Probably a a nightmare for the sports books to keep track of, right? What's exactly. <laughs> and 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 what's not, but certainly the the in-game stuff I think is what's probably going to be bigger and more and more given this Super Bowl. In-game seems to be what well, wave of the future, but really already here in, in a lot of ways, huh? Yeah, I mean, I don't have the exact number, but a, a big, big portion of the overall handle, the FanDuel Sportsbook, was not what was bet before the game, but was actually bet during the game. Just ballparking, I think it was somewhere around 
40%, if I remember hearing that. So, I mean, that's a big chunk because people always want to continue to either A, hedge bets to something that they've already started and then maybe find a way to still put themselves in a good position after the game's going, or maybe you just want to watch what's happening as the game goes along and, and think that you have a feel for what's going to happen, you know, over the next three quarters, let's say you're betting midway through the first quarter. Sure. Or, you know, if you get home for Monday night football uh, and uh, it's already middle of the second quarter, it allows you to have some skin in the game or, or, or wager, or perhaps if uh, it's Monday night football and, the Jets are getting trounced by the Patriots 37 to nothing. It's a reason to continue to watch in the fourth quarter. <laughs> or, as <laughs> I said, uh, on one of these uh, episodes of More Ways to Win, if you happen to come home late from church on Sunday and you missed the kickoff and you want to come home from church and make a bet, you still can. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure there are a few people out there that will do that. <laughs> no, absolutely. But DirecTV has this uh, TV show, uh, uh, a Fantasy show that runs concurrent to games where uh, they'll update fantasy stats and, and what's going on, et cetera. Uh, is, is more ways to win considered that? Because this is a show that's before the game, but in-game is getting so big. I, I think the European numbers are 70 or 80%, and I think the latest New Jersey numbers are 50% of the sports handle since they have mobile betting is in-game. You guys considering doing something in-game? Obviously, every halftime is a big thing, but in-game props and in-game wagering in terms of analyzing it on the fly throughout the contest? You know, we have uh, we've kind of bounced that back and forth between uh, myself, some of the other guys in the show, and the, and the producer. And, and what our takeaway from it for now is that so many people are watching the game to begin with. It would, it would kind of have to be a multiple... Um, you know, viewership experience where they're going to be watching the game and then maybe on their phone, they could be watching us. So maybe rather than do it as a, as a broadcast on TVG, we would do it um, perhaps as, as a stream or maybe on, on the Twitter feed just for something to go along with what they're already watching. Because, I, I mean, if, if they're really into the game, they're probably not going to be just strictly watching us talking about what's happening in the game. They're probably going to be trying to watch both. So we thought about it and uh, I'm not going to rule it out, but it just seems like I'm not sure what, what sort of viewership we would get as it's happening along with the game. That's true. I mean, but, you know, if you, I think the latest numbers are uh, almost everyone, certainly under the age of 30, everyone who watches football does it with a device in their hand, whether it's right. a laptop or their phone. <laughs> Uh, I mean, uh, and I think it's growing more and more. So uh, that's interesting. And, and the other thing is, unless you're flipping channels to to another game, there's quite a bit of stoppage in football. So, you know, maybe get your hits in during the, the quarters or the timeouts or the injury timeouts. Or, you know, I do a little halftime Periscope chat that has uh, kind of been I think fairly popular. And I think we average uh, eight or 10,000 people watching every halftime. Um, uh, you know, uh, just for updates on what might be going on. So I think there's room. Good advice. And obviously, if you've got the, the numbers to prove it, maybe I can take that and, uh, and, and pitch it to them. Maybe we try it, even if it's just like you said, for 30 seconds to a minute and a half each commercial timeout or each, you know, each time there's a change in possession, we go over. That's a great idea. Well, and more ways, to, more you can do, right? The more you can yeah, do. Yeah, exactly. 
So you're you're on KC, and and what's the total over under? What are you li- liking? Yeah, so uh, so right now Kansas City is basically a one point favorite with the over under fifty two and a half. I could see this game just being an absolute back and forth with seven lead changes, 45-41 at the end. But then you look at it and you, you see that the Niners have the number one passing defense in the league, about 173 yards a game. How's Patrick Mahomes going to throw for 400 yards against this 49ers defense? Well, he's going to find a way. It just seems like he just has this gift. I, I just can't see San Francisco shutting down the Chiefs in this game. So it means that... Jimmy G is going to have to throw the ball more. He's not going to be able to throw it eight times like he did in the championship game. But they can run the ball. We know that. We saw that happen against um, Green Bay. But I think Kansas City's up front. Basically, their their linemen are, are better than Green Bay's. Green Bay's linebackers are great. But they were able to get through that that first level and basically get five yards carry, if not more than that. I mean, most are just ran crazy on them. I don't see them doing that as much against Kansas City. So I think... San Francisco is going to have to pass the ball more. I like the over. I think this game is going to be very exciting, uh, completely opposite of what we saw in last year's Super Bowl. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, it, it, to me, as long as we don't have a blowout, right? I mean, the, the Super Shouldn't Bowl be a blowouts blowout. are, yeah, I, I, I think it's hard-pressed that I don't think you can blow either team out, right? I mean, they have enough weapons to make a comeback on both sides. I mean, obviously Kansas City came back from 24 nothing against Houston and led by halftime, you know, and uh and in some ways Tennessee got up a little bit and they still came back early, right? So, I think uh I think you're right. It should not be a, a blowout there. Your passion is also horse racing. And so you do horse racing and you do football stuff. Compare and contrast the analysis and or gambling aspects of horse racing as the football, the similarities and the differences and and how you approach it? Well, I've always loved to bet on football, basketball, baseball, even before TVG and, and FanDuel merged and we opened up sports betting in New Jersey to start. Now we're going throughout some other states. But as far as being an on-air analyst, horse racing is what I've done for the last 20 years. The bottom line is they're all athletes. You know, whether you're talking about the jockeys or the equine athletes, you're watching athletes perform and trying to predict who's going to win, whether it be a race or a game. You're looking for the best strategies in a game or the best strategy in a race because the race is going to unfold and there's going to be a lot of strategy involved by these jockeys to either go to the front or come from behind. And the same can be applied in, in any sport where there's coaching involved. So the coaching and horse racing can be the trainers. You know, they're trying to get their athletes ready and trying to get them um, to perform at, at the highest of their ability. So I think that's kind of the similarity, similarity that you can place in what you're handicapping. As far as the odds go, that's that's totally different because horse racing and, and, and sports have just two different ways to bet. Either it's paramutual, where in horse racing you're betting against everybody else, and of course in sports you're betting against the house. It can potentially make sense if you're listening to a picker for football games or hopefully – what I'm doing a little bit at profootballdoc.com or the Twitter site is if there's an injury delta that's not accounted for, you can get on that and get on that early before there's no. I mean, probably the most pronounced example recently was Carson Wentz heads into the locker room before he heads in the locker room in, in that Seattle game, playoff game, Seattle versus uh, Philadelphia. The in-game line was about a pick him. He goes in the locker room, it becomes Seattle minus three and a half in-game. And the score was tied. And I put out that 
he's not coming back based on a couple of different factors. And within five minutes, the line jumps to seven and a half. And uh, he's not ruled out until the second half. I mean, this was during the second quarter. So that's that's where potentially I think you can make a difference. But when I do go to horse racing at Del Mar or this, that, the other, all those pick sheets and that people swear by, it doesn't make sense to me because if you're that good of a picker, why would you release the picks because you're clearly betting your own money on it and you're going to force yourself to make less money if you inf- influence the public to bet on it. it does, the odds are floating. They change. If there's someone like you or someone is an influencer and you can, and you're truly right and you know what you're doing, are you really going to release your best pick that, that 20 to one underdog that you think is going to win and then have them go off at five to one? It doesn't make sense. A lot of people that are very good at uh, at picking winners in horse racing that don't provide tip sheets and, and keep the information to themselves. And you, you could apply the same thing to people who sell sports picks. You know, if you could just bet on them yourself, why are you needing to sell to other people? Yeah, there's no question selling. But the thing is, in football, you're really not going to move the line, really. <laughs> I mean, with picks, I guess, with injury information, maybe we've shown that. But with picks, you're probably not moving the line. Good point. Yeah. Like we talked earlier, just two entirely different types of forms of, uh, of, of betting. All right. So, uh, Dave, uh, Super Bowl around the corner. What are, okay. You already said take heads on the coin toss. What are a couple <laughs> of your, uh, your, your premium things, the things you're thinking about so far? I haven't even seen if they've put up. I mean, we're, we're so far out, but like the actual player props themselves. I think Patrick Mahomes can have a huge game, uh, in the air. And I wouldn't imagine the number is going to be all that high, considering the San Francisco defense on the passing side has been good all year. So I'm definitely looking over on Mahomes for passing yards, certainly looking at, at him to be the MVP as well, which is going to be a very short price. So as far as the value there, not fantastic. By the way, Julian Edelman last year was 33 to 1 to win the MVP. And, and he did it by catching, I think it was 11 or 12 balls. So Maybe you're looking for a guy like an outsider that can get MVP. What about Hardman? I mean, here's a guy that made the Pro Bowl with his great kick return skills and punt return skills, but he has gotten in the end zone as well with some reception. So if he was able to run back a punt and, and get a catch um, from a Holmes 50-yard bomb or something, he's a guy that's probably 50 to 1 that would be a huge price. So something to consider there. Oh, that's, that's, that's interesting. Well, my little tidbit that I'll talk about in the next segment is it's probably a depressed number on Tevin Coleman carries or yards. I think he's going to play from that shoulder injury, early indications in the Super Bowl. So if you can get a low line there, I would jump on it before the injury information comes out that he will play. I believe he will play in the Super Bowl. And that hard to affect most as well, the number of carries and yards. Yeah. Yeah, hard to know what Shanahan does. I mean, there's been games in the past where Mostert had a monster game and then he would come back and use Coleman, you know. So don't think that just because he had 220 last week that he has to give him the ball 25 times if Coleman is healthy. I mean, if you're setting over under on yards, he's going to be very low just because of what happened in that last game. So that's uh, definitely a good call there. And one other thing, I just went back and looked at the Super Bowl odds before the season started and the team totals before the season started. Kansas City was the second favorite behind New England. So, you know, they, they did what they were supposed to do. San Francisco was 
basically picked to finish third in their division based on their team total was eight. They won 13 games and they were anywhere between 30 and 40 to one to win the Super Bowl. So there's one team that's supposed to be in the Super Bowl and there's one team that, that's kind of free rolling right now. Nobody thought they were going to be here and, and here they are with the 49ers. Yeah, they got t-shirts made there from Mobile to, uh, to Miami, right? Last year <laughs> they were coaching at the Senior Bowl in Mobile, Alabama. And you get that honor by being at the bottom. Oh, wow. <laughs> uh, the, the, the way it works, for those who don't know, I think you know, Dave, is that the team with the worst record in the AFC and the team with the worst record in the NFC gets the right to go and coach the Senior Bowl, gives them better looks at players. But of course, it has to be a team with the worst record that doesn't undergo a coaching change. Because if you undergo a coaching change, your staff isn't necessarily all filled out. You're not ready to go to Mobile to uh, coach. So last year at four and 12, that honor fell to the 49ers. And this year they have completely reversed their fortunes. Uh, not a bad, not a bad gig. I still remember everyone giving uh, John Lynch and the 49ers a little bit of grief. Uh, he's never worked in a front office. How is he going to be a GM? I think it's worked out pretty well because he's a smart guy <laughs> and he, and he listens to guys around him. He's I think not, he's done I mean, okay. Yeah. I mean, like, uh, Stanford guy, smart guy, San Diego guy. I mean, he's done great because he knows football and he knows, I think, what he knows and knows what he doesn't know, right? So he relies on others to fill in. And, and obviously now he's got the GM job wired, but I'm sure there was a little bit of a learning curve and I think he's been the first one to, to admit it. So uh, congrats to uh, John Lynch. Anyways, anything else you want to add, Dave, or plug or anything? We tried, we promised to keep you to a relatively short segment here. Well, it's going to be a heck of a game um, if you want to tune in. And, of course, we'll have you on the show as well. We'll have um, three different shows on Super Bowl week. We'll be on TVG or FanDuel.com slash stream uh, Wednesday morning at 8 o'clock, Friday morning at 7 o'clock, and then we'll we'll wheel back again on, on Sunday morning with the two-hour Super Bowl spectacular from uh, 7 to 9, all of these times, uh, West Coast times. Gotcha. Um, so you guys are going to be in the home studios in L.A. doing all of this. No uh, Miami visits? You know, I, uh, I I pitched to my boss that I really need to be in Miami to do this show. And for whatever reason, I don't think they signed off on that. So, yeah, <laughs> everything, everything will be happening from L.A. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, well, it's not like your your bosses are sending me, but I will be in Miami that week. I'll be there Tuesday till the Monday after the game. Excellent. So I'll be, I'll be out. I'll be out in Miami. Put me in your suitcase. <laughs> <laughs> Carry on. Yeah. No. Yeah. yeah. No problem. Hop, hop along. Uh, we're 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 good. Anyways, Dave, uh, I've enjoyed this season with you, and uh, we'll do a couple more this next week. And thank you for coming on here at the Pro Football Dog Podcast and giving us kind of a Super Bowl uh, betting preview. We'll take a quick break, and we'll come back with segment. Three, the third and final segment of the Pro Football Talk Podcast. More now with Dr. David Chow, the Pro Football Talk. Welcome back to the third and final segment of the Pro Football Talk Podcast. We're going to do our injury rundown. And the injury rundown will start to change a little bit because, well, gee, there's only two teams now that we really want to talk about. But we'll talk about some big picture issues as well. For example, Reuben Foster, standout linebacker for the Redskins, 
had a practice injury this season. Now it's reported not only did he have a multi-ligament injury, ACL, LCL, maybe PCL. It's been reported now he had a nerve issue getting some special treatments. Some people have sent me Twitter pictures of some sort of AFO, ankle foot orthosis, possibly for a foot drop. There's an admission of some nerve issues and numbness. No frank admission of motor weakness, but I think that possibility is there given some of the braces and the fact that he injured his LCL and probably posterior lateral corner stretching the perineal nerve. Is this exactly a Jalen Smith situation? I don't know. No two knee dislocation type injuries are the same. But this is concerning. Given that it's multi-ligament and involves the nerve, it's easily possible that Reuben Foster misses the 2020 season. I mean, that would be more bad luck for the Redskins. You know, obviously, Alex Smith with 17 surgeries and Darius Geis with his complications and uh, Colt McCoy with his ankle fracture complications and talked about Trent Williams. I mean, this one, he cert- once again, he certainly can't blame the nerve issue on the doctors or the athletic trainers. You know, it's something that happened on the practice field where he was injured, but more bad Redskins luck. We'll talk more about some of those players and review where players are, et cetera, as the offseason goes on here. But before we get there, 49ers versus the Chiefs. Let's start with the 49ers. Tevin Coleman is the big question mark. He injured his shoulder. When he went down, he sort of landed awkwardly after he was tripped up on his wrist. And it looked like his elbow shifted. But it turns out the damage was more translated up in his shoulder. So he likely subluxed his shoulder, may even have dislocated his shoulder on the carry and was carted off the field due to the pain. X-rays are going to be normal. He's getting an MRI, and I think it will show a label tear. It's likely to need surgery in the offseason, but you heard it here first. I believe he will play in the Super Bowl. Why do I say that? A, it's the Super Bowl. And although I've never had the personal fortune of being on a team that went to the Super Bowl, I've seen it, and I've actually worked a couple Super Bowls. The tremendous healing powers of that extra week before the Super Bowl. No one is going to miss the Super Bowl if they can do anything. There's no saving for the next game. Every borderline hamstring is going to play. Why? Because it's the Super Bowl. We've heard about these before. Terrell Owens and his ankle fracture, among others. People making heroic comebacks to play in the Super Bowl. Tevin Coleman will play in the Super Bowl with a harness on, and I believe he will be effective. Look, uh, Jayon Brown, Tennessee Titans middle linebacker, dislocated his left shoulder in the wild card round against the Patriots, missed one game and returned for Sunday's game versus the Chiefs and was effective. I think Tevin Coleman will do the same. He has two weeks as well. So that's the good news. D Ford seems to have made a stronger effort and looking healthier and the two weeks will help him. As we talked about at the top of the podcast, the timing works out pretty well for San Francisco, and I believe Tevin Coleman will play. Another interesting thing on that play, I believe it was on that play that Packers cornerback Adrian Amos tore his pack. He was trying to wrap up and tackle Tevin Coleman, instead tore his pack. But that resistance was enough to trip up Tevin Coleman and have him land on his right wrist awkwardly enough that Elbow shifted and the uh, shoulder took the brunt. 
he had a shoulder, right shoulder subluxation dislocation. Two significant injuries on the same play, on the same tackle, one from each side of the field. For the Chiefs, not a lot of injuries. The, the timing's been good for them. I mean, I think the biggest piece of news is I hadn't seen Patrick Mahomes that mobile since his kneecap dislocation. That 27-yard touchdown run was spectacular. And that's more of the Patrick Mahomes' of old. So the good news is I think he has even gotten better on his knee. I still think there's a reasonable possibility that he'll have off-season surgery. But now that he has a Super Bowl, boy, that makes the timeline tight for surgery uh, to be ready for the regular season next year. But I'm sure no one's worried about that right now. The good news is patella dislocation issues seem fully behind him right now. He's still wearing that sleeve slash brace to help hold the kneecap in. But he certainly looks pretty good on the field there. We'll see what the rest of it means after uh, the Super Bowl. The other big one, of course, is uh, Chris Jones. He did play, and he was just playing third down pass rush situationally. But he played pretty well. Uh, He fought through some double teams. Uh, His first play of the game, I think he saved four points for the Titans by, say, four points for the Chiefs by forcing the Titans Ryan Tannehill out of the pocket on a key third down play. He got a couple quarterback hits and hurries, so he made the most of his plays, and the two weeks will serve him well. That's a key for the Chiefs moving forward. Uh, That was a potential weakness going into the game, and it it wasn't because Chris Jones actually did play when I thought perhaps that he would not. Other area to look at, Andrew Wiley with the left guard with ankle issues. Some of his being out, may have to do with the ankle, but it may have to do with a veteran replacement. Stefan Wisniewski, he played with the Eagles in the Super Bowl. Now he gets another chance. He probably is the starting left guard, so Wiley's importance and his ankle injury are, are not as great as before. Well, there's our quick rundown of injuries because there's only two uh, teams left, obviously, with the Super Bowl. What are your thoughts on the Super Bowl, Greg? You gonna ride with San Francisco because they beat your Packers, or are you gonna hate on them? I'm actually looking at San Francisco because I feel like so many people have been hating on them all year long. We heard it from our good guy at TVG. It's one of those situations in which not a lot of people expected San Francisco to get here, but I genuinely think that they have the better defense, and everyone says, Oh, Jimmy Garoppolo, he's such a liability and everything like that. Well, Still have a very good running game. Like you mentioned, I think that Evan Coleman is going to be out there for the game. And Jimmy Garoppolo, while he's not elite, he's still a very good quarterback. And I feel like he gets more flack than he deserves. Yeah, actually, I don't know that I hear the flack on Jimmy Garoppolo. I think he gets a lot of credit. I sadly do. I mean, I mean, think of it this way. Look at Joe Flacco or Trent Dilfer or going back to Brad Johnson. Super Bowl winning quarterbacks. That didn't get a lot of credit because they were called game managers. Jimmy Garoppolo threw eight passes. <laughs> now, I get it's scheme and the whole thing wasn't his fault, but he did fine with those eight passes. So I'm surprised he doesn't get more grief as a game manager. But, you know, that's neither here nor there. I mean, I think it's too early to tell whether he can fully get it done. Look, uh, Mahomes hasn't been in a Super Bowl either, but the one thing that I have to say is, Look, if San Francisco just rolls on the Chiefs' run defense with their tight end blocking scheme and their fullback and the whole deal, 
Yeah, it might be a long day for Kansas City. But even if that happens, I think there's enough faith that Patrick Mahomes can chase that and try and keep up. On the other hand, if the Chiefs get out early and either the 49er run game isn't there or they have to abandon it, the question is, can the 49ers keep up if it becomes a throw-only game, pass-only game for them? I mean, what do I know? But that's seems like the Achilles heel or the unproven part. I mean, both defenses are good. San Francisco's defense is probably better. Their D-line's amazing. But who knows? I think it's going to be a, a good game and uh, hopefully a close game. And as I always say, the ball's not round. But definitely looking forward to, as Dave Weaver said, a high-scoring, exciting game after that game last year at the Super Bowl. The defensive battle. Any other questions out there, uh, Greg, before we go to Beast of the Week? Not really seeing any. I know that there were a lot of people talking about the Luke Geekly situation, and we already addressed that. And obviously, good for Luke getting out of the game with his health, and obviously a terrific career for him. Well, I got one question for you looking ahead, Greg. Are you going to watch the XFL? I'm not going to. I remember we had the Alliance of American Football League. There was the first coming of the XFL it's just not the same, in my opinion. I'll continue to watch college basketball games between, like, Maryland, Eastern Shore, and Howard. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. Yeah, I don't know. We're getting a lot of requests to, quote, cover XFL and some of the injuries. So we'll, we'll, we'll see. We'll see uh, what that does. So let's move on to the Beast of the Week. A couple of different candidates. I mean, uh, mentioned earlier, look, I, I throw my friend John Lynch up there. He comes out of the broadcast booth to become a GM and be successful. Mobile to Miami. I mean, 4-12 and 12 last year to the Super Bowl this year. He had his doubters because he'd never worked in an NFL front office. His Hall of Fame worthy, in my opinion, Hall of Fame worthy career and even broadcasting career doesn't, isn't, doesn't equate to being a GM, but he's smart enough to listen. And so he's certainly on the list, but I think I'll do a combined, combined beast of the week. I know the 49ers have an excellent defensive line, but I have to give it this week, beast of the week to the Chiefs D line. There were a couple of injury issues there. Chris Jones, we talked about, overcame his calf issue and was effective. He helps the cause of the Chiefs D line. But the other reason is, Frank Clark, he called a shot, what I call the new beast mode. Beast mode two, Derrick Henry, he's been getting close to 200 yards. He's been killing everybody, getting stronger in every game. He got 180 yards on them last time they played. And Frank Clark certainly put up. He said he wasn't that hard to tackle and the Chiefs would be able to handle him. And they did. I mean, it was Namath-like in calling his shot and shutting him down. So uh, between... Frank Clark calling his shot and Chris Jones coming back from the calf and contributing will make the Chiefs D-line the beast of the week combined. Good luck to them in the uh, Super Bowl. Looking forward to uh, a great matchup. Well, that'll do it for today for the Pro Football Doc Podcast. Thank you for listening. I'm off to Miami next week, and uh, I think we'll do some fun special things there. But in any case, uh, as always, thanks for listening and uh, looking forward to an exciting Super Bowl. And we'll chat next week. Uh, Thank you very much. 
Thanks for listening on the Pro Football Doc Podcast.